Hello and welcome to the rbaldizon.com blog and podcast. I want to thank you for lending of your time and I will make sure this is useful to you. Uh, notice I have not been on the air the last two weeks. I did not record and or publish anything primarily because I wanted to give myself some space to step back and listen to what I've been doing and to continue to shape it in such a way that it is useful to you. If it's something that you're finding useful, uh, these conversations I keep on having with colleagues from around the world, by all means, please give me some feedback. Give me some suggestions and some stars, of course, on iTunes. Uh, go back to iTunes and, and give me some love. I'm not sponsored, nor am I making a buck out of it. Uh, I've been at this for quite some time, and I've had a lot of great relationships with colleagues from around the world and I keep on getting questions and I try to put it out there such that not only one person is is responded to but maybe this serves the entire community so this is why I'm doing it uh, give me some love as I continue to shape these conversations going forward I work at a high school this is year number two that I've been the tech director there and as you may imagine the summer of the end of year one and starting into year two is usually the summer where you get to make all the fundamental critical platform changes that impact the entire community. So I had a, I had a full summer. I was able to uh, peel back a lot of layers of complexity off of the system that I'm currently uh, shaping as the school continues to grow and move forward. So I had to take a couple of weeks off as faculty came in and then we were getting ready to welcome students back on campus, which uh, happened this last week. I'm recording this uh, during the weekend, as I usually do, when I get a breather. Uh, so here I am. This podcast uh, is very special to me because, one, I'm going to do it solo. And two, there's a very particular reason why I'm doing it. Colleagues from around the world are beginning their foray into being tech directors at uh, international independent schools and there's a very good friend of mine who is starting off as an IT director right now here in the U.S. and I wanted to shape this conversation that I'm going I'm to focus on on those primary steps that I've found over the many years that I've been at this that helped me become more successful as I move forward in time and establish myself as a tech a director or as a leader within a school community. So I want to put it out there, uh, the things that I concentrate most on as I'm looking at and I'm beginning to take the first steps into becoming an IT director at a school. Whenever I accept an offer and we sign on the dotted line and I am officially the tech director at an independent school, at an international school, whatever that may be, I'm looking at a three-year minimum. And that is my commitment to that school, primarily because year number one is about learning. There's very little that you can do year number one without knowing that community too well. Of course, there have been situations where I've had to come in, and even before I landed, I've impacted change on a platform. Usually that is well-informed way ahead of time. As it happened here at Vitsamar School my last year, I landed and I was able to get on campus on July 1. I did not have a whole lot of information before that because the person who was there before me had left many months prior to my even being interviewed and then taking the position. So it was, it was a, a bit of a, 
a very, you know, sort of a blind date, if you will, where I came in on July 1 and I had very little information. The person who is working there, my right-hand person, she was on uh, summer vacation and, of course, gave her, her time to come in and teach me as much as she could. And I had to absorb as much information as possible. However, because I was on an idle network, there was only so much I could do. Because testing is not the same as when everybody comes in and gets on the network and all of a sudden things are not the way you plan them. I'm always thinking of a three-year plan. I come in, I look at the position, and I know that that first year I'm going to do a whole lot of learning. And I'm going to position myself to reach for any low-hanging fruit that I can see so that I can nail early successes in order to establish myself, gain credibility, and understand what the effects are when I modify something, how does that impact the community? And of course, these 10 things that I look at year number one are the ones I'm going to share with you right now. And I'll tell you a little bit about what I'm looking at for year number two and what year number three looks like. This is my plan. Usually when I take a position, I'm now I'm going to be there minimum three years. Unless it's a very particular project or I'm consulting, I'm going to be there for three years because I want to finish what I started. Year number one, here's my top 10 list. Number one, do nothing. I know that sounds counterintuitive, and it's the most useful thing that I can give you at this point, is that when you go into a new community, you guys do not know each other. It's kind of like a blind date. You want to do nothing. You want to listen and you want to talk to as many people as possible in order to know what it is you're standing on, right? You have to do nothing. And I know that takes discipline because the first time you see that server console or the first time the network admin is talking to you or the first time you walk down the hall trying to get Wi-Fi, I know there are things you're going to say, ah, I can do this, I can do the other, and I can make it right. However, you have yet to see the community in motion. You have yet to see a non-idle network, and you have yet to plug everything in together so that you get this visual of what your position is within this greater community, and you have yet to inform any decision that you can make. And I know as soon as you land, they're going to hand you papers to sign and people are going to be requesting. A faculty member may come in and say, hey, you know, this projector or my desk needs to be moved or the phone is not working. You have to give it time because you are setting precedent. And that is the most important thing to keep in mind as a tech director. You are setting precedent with every single decision and action. So if you do it for one, be sure you are able to do it for everyone because then it's not a fair game. And you're going to lose valuable credibility if you take steps way too soon, prematurely, and you establish the wrong president. Number two, my advice to new IT directors, and this goes for any director, really. As you're, you're assuming a leadership position, you must walk the walk. And by that, I mean literally walk. Walk the campus. Take, as, as a, a previous podcast colleague was mentioning during the interview, he will get out there, he will talk to everybody, and he will open every single closet, covet, look under the racks, look everywhere. And that's very important. One, so you get the lay of the land as far as distances. This is important in Wi-Fi 
uh, or rather Wi-Fi designs, and as you're, you're looking into improving this, that, or the other, you also want to look at physically, what does the campus look like? How are the buildings connected to each other? If it's a, a single building, are there strategic points on the network that you need to worry about? Bottlenecking, security issues, there's, there's so many components there on the network infrastructure. You need to know what is going on on that network. Even if you're not the person who is doing the day-to-day -day management, you want to be sure that if you're supervising a network admin, that you know what he or she has to put up with, has to manage, is in charge of, so that one, you don't overload them, and two, you know where the possible fail points are. So walk the walk, open closet, check out the AV services. One way or another, those AV services, if they're not part of your responsibilities, affect what you work with. Remember that classrooms nowadays do not require only a wireless signal or a network connection or a phone for emergencies, they want to be able to project, they want to be able to put sound out there. So in one way or another, it is part of your realm. Walk around and find out what it is you've gotten yourself into. Number three, get as much information as you can around budget. This is something that a lot of incoming IT directors I've noticed over the years miss. They land and they're ready to rock and they're gonna make that network work and all of a sudden, they find out they don't have the budget for it. So whatever plan they had, they have to step back again and now reshape the entire thing to fit into whatever budget is available. I cannot stress this uh, step number three enough, the importance of getting all the information about budgeting. What I usually do is I will ask uh, when I'm, I've made the deal with the head of school or the committee or whoever it is, I will touch base with the CFO, whoever your business manager or your chief information, uh, rather chief financial officer is, get in touch with them and get as much information as possible around those numbers. I usually request, if not only last year's, I usually request two or three years going back, the full IT budget, and if possible, the full school budget, which usually, if you're part of the administrative team, you have no problem uh, having access to. And the reason I do that is because I need to know that it is a balanced budget. I also need to know that any fundraising efforts that impacted on that budget have to be taken care of going forward, not by fundraising, but by the school operating budget. And by, by that, I mean, you know, one year you could have, um, you know, raised $100,000 or 100,000 euros or pesos for, you know, for the faculty to get iPads and a MacBook Pro or a PC and a tablet or whatever. That was $100,000 that they raised money for. That in year number three or four of that equipment having been purchased with uh, raised funds now has to be cycled through the replacement cycle of the school and the school has to pick up the tab. And it may not be $100,000 again to replace it because technology keeps on changing and improving and what have you. However, that $100,000 that was raised two years ago, you're going to be faced with having to phase out that technology and replace it in one year or two years down the line. Find out where the money's coming from. If it's a, uh, if it's a budget item that is qualified as a capital expense, an operating expense, it's a restricted uh, fundraising effort. Find out what is the magic around those numbers. 
what are the restrictions around certain line items, how these play together with the rest of the, of the school. Uh, for instance, I have a printing budget that is part of the, a larger institutional item where if somebody buys staples and pens, it affects that printing budget. It is not a sole printing budget. It's an institutional resources budget within which I have to be able to manage the printing side of it. There are also fundraising efforts for this, that, and the other. As we all know in, in independent schools, you have to be careful because when you get something for free, quote-unquote, three or four years underlined, you're going to have to pay for it because you can't just say, hey, you know what, the laptops don't work anymore and we're going back to PCs. You cannot go back. You can only go forward. So watch your budget. I can't stress this enough. Find out what the limits are on capital expenditures. Schools get to make their own rules around this. When the auditor comes in, the auditor will ask, what is your limit on capital expenditures? If something above $1,000 or euros or pesos considered a capital expenditure, or is something above 500 considered a capital expenditure? The school makes those rules. The CFO knows that very well. And whatever rule they establish, they have to adhere to. I've yet to be in a place where the country demands that you make something capital or operational. It, it's up to the school. However, when the school's financials are audited, the rules have to be consistently applied. Therefore, find out when you purchase something, is it capital? Is that budget line item in a capital budget or am I going to have no money for it because it happens to be on operational and I have all the money in operational but no money in capital or vice versa. It happened to me last year. I bought a bunch of uh, Chromebooks to put a uh, Chromebook cart together because there were, there were very few roaming resources around the school and guess what? Initially I was thinking, you know, $8,000 for a 22-piece uh, Chromebook, 22-unit Chromebook cart to go out there. And I was thinking, okay, this is, you know, $8,000. I have that in capital. Problem was, each Chromebook cost less than $400 to purchase. In my school, if anything is below $500, it is considered an operational expense, not a capital expense. If something is software, it is considered an operational expense and not a capital expense. So the only thing that I was able to capital expense was the cart because it was over $1,000. And where I did not know, I took a bullet on because I had to put all the rest in the operational budget and all of a sudden I have less to purchase software with. So I was stuck and I was stuck for the entire year because I did not really understand how the capital and the operational dance is done at my school. In previous schools, when you have a project, you can capitalize the entire project. Here, if I buy a laptop for a faculty member and that laptop is $1,000, cool, it can be a capital expense. And if I buy an, an extra charger because I want that faculty to take a charger home so I don't have to be going back and forth with a charger so I can have two, that extra charger is actually operational, is not part of that laptop. Find out what the rules are on your end. Very important to get your mind and to get every detail possible around budgeting. Do not skimp on budgeting. Number four, talk to your business office. This is closely aligned with the third item on this list about budget. Find out what the deal is with your school, if it's classified as a not-for-profit, how the taxes work, does the school assume taxes on a different budget 
that you do not have to go against your own particular budget, departmental budget, or do you assume that anything and its taxes hit your budget in particular? And this is important because I've seen it done differently in different regions of the world where a school may have a, a particular budget line that is just to cover taxes. And your individual departmental budget, all you have to do is put, you know, put the number before taxes that hits your budget. Anything above that is taken care of by the school. Find out what the business office expects of you. If you get a uh, credit card, what the receipts, what happens if you have to spend your own money, is that even allowed, etc. Find out from the business office, not just from the CFO, talk to the business office. However many people there are, talk to them. If they're a massive business office, talk to the leader of each group because you'll be surprised how many things a CFO may tell you and then all of a sudden you actually do it and it's a different story when it comes to you know, accounts payable or purchasing or whatever department. Be sure you know what the process is. Don't take a hit later on having spent however much money and all of a sudden you have no money for it or you just drained your entire budget for the year. Find out what, what they're expecting you to do and how to do it and continue to speak to them. You can't talk to a business uh, office personnel enough throughout your entire time as an IT director, you are tethered to that business office. The numbers need to make sense. Be sure you are talking to them constantly. Number five, now that we are out of the business end, let's jump into the policy end. Yes, I know we're talking about some tedious things. However, they're very important things. Establish policies. And this goes back to number one when I was talking about setting precedent. These policies, chances are policies are already drafted. They're already published. People already have a notion of them. You know, students know that they can't hack the network, for instance. And students know they can't do this, that, and the other. However, be sure you get a grasp on policy. Your tech user policy, if there's one for families, be sure you know it and that it makes sense. If it needs to change, find out what the process is. Sometimes only the board can vote on policy. Sometimes the leadership votes on policy. Sometimes the head of school signs policy. It all depends on your school. Find out what the process is. Look at your, um, your end user policy, family, if there is one, when you loan out equipment, if your faculty is mobile, what do they uh, sign? What are they aware of? Do they do this every year? Do you do it just when you give them the equipment and then forget about it? Do, uh, does the school have a social media policy? Find out what the policies are around technology, using it, accessing it, and what you're putting your users on notice of before they even enter the network. Some schools I've seen it where they'll have a person sign a, a small slip when they come in on campus as a guest as they're getting access to the school's network. It all depends on your school. It all depends on your culture, how open, how closed, how controlling, how not. But you have to have a good notion of what your policies are. Put them out there. Learn them and make sure they make sense. And usually the first team I touch base on uh, with around this is the leadership team. And then I'll go the, uh, to the student council if there is one, an honor council as we have it here at Vistamar, or I'll go to each um, subject area or grade level coordinator 
to find out where these came from and whether they make sense or not. Another thing that I'm looking to do is how can you make these policies come alive? And by that, I mean, what can you do throughout the year as far as activities or getting into the curriculum, integrating it so that people are aware that these policies exist and primarily students know why these policies are there and what the consequences are and what the uh, restrictions may be and, and what have you. Be sure it's a living document in that sense of the word that it is living and it's not something you sign without reading and then putting on the back of a folder and say, hey, I check off that box because they signed the policy. Be sure people know what the policy is and find out what strategy works best in your community for making that policy be more alive throughout the community. Next up, number six, I find out who is on my team. If I'm a lone uh, ranger there, I have not been. However, if I were to come in alone, then you know, it's pretty easy. Usually you have a team, either people who are going into the classroom and helping other, uh, other people, digital coaches, uh, whatever the title may be. Also on your own team, you have a network administrator, you may have somebody who's in charge of AV, you have a tech person, an assistant, whatever that team is, look at them and find out what it is they're doing. And again, another, another tedious tip, uh, find out what their job description is and compare that through a range of various conversations with them as to what it is they're doing at the end of the day. Find out what is it that you're doing and find out what the job description says about that position. This is very tricky because some countries and some cities, some states have very restrictive labor laws and you must adhere to them or you put yourself out there for the school to be sued. So it's very important. Find out what the labor, uh, labor framework is, wherever it is you are, find out about your team and is the school doing the right thing for every team member? If not, you know there's an opportunity for you to improve things. But find out what is your team doing? What are the expectations? Can they actually do it? What's their morale like being part of that team? Is this a positive person? Is this someone who loves being there? Is doing everything by the book? Or is this someone who's just absolutely miserable and is angling for something? Be conscious of who you're working with, what they're doing, what their uh, expectations are on both ends, and that you're adhering to the law. Number seven, and this is the most fun one for me, during year number one, I speak to students. I often find myself uh, not directly telling them, hey, show me what you do, but rather just kind of putting myself out there in public areas where students are working and kind of getting next to them and saying, hey, you know, what are you doing? And they'll, they'll be more than happy to show you. And then I kind of break down the, the steps that they're following to get their work done that is required by the school and requires technology. So a teacher requires X and X homework. Check out what the student needs to do to get that homework done and hand it into the teacher and whether that process is as efficient as possible. It has no room for the student to be confused about where to click, what to access, how to mail it, and what have you. If not, take notes. You know there's are rooms for improvement. And there is always room for improvement. So I'm always looking at what students are doing and how they're doing it, especially if they're frustrated. I ask them, you know, what happened? You know, if you hear somebody sigh and breathe out like with force and you can hear it, you know they're frustrated. So find out what is it that frustrates you. They may tell you, ah, this website, I can't understand it. Or they may tell you, I can't get this file to upload to the email. I, I don't understand what Mr. So-and-so is trying to get me to do. Whatever that is, 
find out and take note on where those little chances of opportunities uh, for improvement are. And you'd be surprised how much you can benefit an entire community by just focusing on one student and the process they go through any given day at the school and what interactions they must be in front of with technology as the tool. You have the full, you have full power to change that and make it better. So find out from students, talk to them. Number eight, in speaking with the leadership team, the CFO, operations, facilities, head of school, find out if the school has ever been audited on the technology side. Often enough, schools are audited financially at least once or twice a year. This is uh, what I've found to be the norm. Some schools are a little bit more strict. Some schools are a little bit looser on that. If a school has loans out with banks, they have to be audited. Is technology audited? Find out if there is one. And if, the, if there isn't any, do your own audit. Bring in a, a, an outside consultant if you have the budget line item for one and find out what, uh, what is the state, uh, the state of technology at your school. Is it actually working? Is it secure or secure enough? And is it actually efficient? And how consistent is it? And by that I mean, when an uh, end user needs help, do they know, all of them know, how to get help? What's the first step? If somebody comes in with their own device and they're a guest, a parent, or a group the school has uh, you know, rented a room out to, do they know how to go about getting Wi-Fi, passwords, and or access? Find out how efficient your systems are. And by systems, I mean the servers, the network, security, backups, off-campus, on-campus, cloud interactions, whatever it is you have going there, and also your people system. How does an end user arrive at the help they need? Is that consistent across the board, or is there room for improvement? You need to find this out from a good, thorough audit. An audit is never going to be 100% you're done and you've arrived and stopped doing what you're doing. An audit is always going to be what are you doing really well and here are some areas of improvement and this is the reason why. Find out if you have one. If not, I would strongly suggest set yourself up so that year number two while you're there or even year number three, you're able to bring somebody from the outside, an independent auditor who's able to look at everything you're doing and point out areas opportunities where you can make things better. And more importantly, they may see things where you're actually creating holes, security, data access, or what have you, that may actually save your job. So get an audit. It's not a bad thing to get an auditor come in and spend a few days with you and your team and look around, poke around, test your systems, find out where you may be uh, needing some help. Number nine. This is uh, also one that requires time, a lot of caffeine, uh, so a lot of coffee drinking. Talk to the leadership around school. And by that I mean not just your leadership team, those who meet with the head of school once or twice a week or whatever, but the coordinators for grade level or subject area coordinators, student leaders, your parent association, if it's a you know PTO, PTA, Whatever the name is, find out who is the leadership of the smaller groups within that community. This goes for students, grade levels, subject areas, your leadership team. Find out who the leaders are. Find out who you need to bring into the fold so that your strategy can actually move forward and not just you pushing it forward, but people are actually helping you move along and you're not working against the current. 
that is the worst thing to expend your energy on. So find out who the leadership is around the school. Touch base with them. Do it constantly. Be sure that they know what it is you're thinking and that you know what it is they're needing. Be sure you're bringing some value to their lives because they're going to appreciate you. And guess what? All for free, they're going to help you. Lastly, we've talked about budget, policy, walking around, listening, doing nothing, doing a lot. Lastly, get some balance. All too often, I've seen tech directors come in year number one and they're incredibly gung-ho and they have all this energy and by the spring, they're totally burnt out. Be sure you have some balance. When you leave campus as best you can, disconnect. Be with your family. Be with your other. Go out and do things. Don't spin your wheels in work 24-7. I did this a very long time ago. Mid-20s, got my first IT uh, position where I was in a leadership position. Totally burnt out within two years. I had to not even downshift. I I had to put everything in neutral. I couldn't move forward anymore. Get some balance. That could be with family. That could be playing golf or chess. That could be running. Get the gym. Whatever it is you need to do, do it in a way that is fully disconnected. Not something where you're checking your, your, your little screen in your pocket every five minutes because you're in fear of this or in fear of the other or this one failed or don't do that. Get yourself some balance. Step back a little bit. Be able to clear your head so that next time you come at it, you may get a different perspective and you may get the answer to a difficult challenge out of the blue, but you need to do that while you're disconnected. A couple of things I do that um, to, to achieve that is in the evenings, my phone is on sleep mode. I have an iPhone, so you can put it on sleep mode. So messages and whatever still come through, but the phone won't make a noise or vibrate or anything. I get to see it in the morning after I shower, after I have breakfast, and as I'm getting ready to go to work, then I'll, I'll check to see if anything out of line came up. But otherwise, I need to sleep. So this is how I disconnect. On the weekends, sure, I'll check my uh, email once or twice during the day. If I can, I'll try to check it only once to be sure that whatever else I am doing with my wife, that I'm actually doing it with my wife. So get some balance. Step back. Look at what you're doing. Be sure that when you're at work, you're giving it 100%. And when you're at home, you're also giving them 100%. Get some balance. So that is year number one. That is my top 10 list for year number one. This is how you approach, how you walk into that position within an academic setting. Year number two, and which is what I did this summer, is you begin to impact broad change. Year number one, you're looking for a low-hanging fruit and you're getting some successes. You're building trust. You're building that communication. You're building relationships around campus. In all different ways, while you're still looking under the hood, see what the policies, the budget, the systems, see what's going on under the hood, but you're also building those relationships. Year number two, you're going to impact change. If it means doing a big turnaround on an email system, or we're going with a different phone system, or we're going to put a different SIS in, whatever that means, you're going to do that during the summer. But be sure that before you go at it during the summer, that you already told faculty January, February, March, you began that song saying, hey, this is, to, this is what you need to expect, you know, six months down the road. Then do it again in the spring. And then do it again in May and June. Be sure people know what's happening and why it's happening. So take advantage of those department meetings, 
those subject, uh, subject coordinator meetings or those faculty meetings and get your message out there, you have to sing that song consistently and constantly. If you do it only once, people are not going to remember. It's kind of like the radio. This is why they repeat these commercials oh so much. You need to do the same. So impact change, but be sure people are well informed ahead of time. Year number two is also some hard decisions sometimes need to be made. Is your team the right team? And I spoke about labor law and all of that. Be sure you're doing things correctly. Be sure you're doing things fairly. It may not be the person. It's probably the expectations of the position that really do not match with that person. It may be the attitude of someone. It may be the capacity or experience, which things you can, some things you can mediate, some things you can, you can actually make better by providing adequate and timely professional development opportunities, courses, certifications, whatever it is you need to do, be sure you're taking care of your team. And if your team is not the adequate team, be sure it becomes the right team for the job. Sometimes you have to make hard choices. Get some help with that. Another, year number two, how can you bring students into the fold? Even if it's a K-8, I've seen amazing things be done by students in the fourth and the fifth and the sixth and the seventh and eighth grades with adults, if given the opportunity. You can put a little tech core together. You can get one or two of your high-flying students who you know are dying to hack into the system. Leverage that, utilize them, give them ownership. Once they do that, you'll be amazed at what they can do bring students into the fold. Find out how you can do that best. The other, year number two, the fourth thing that I usually do is be sure that whatever opportunities for improvement I saw in the budgeting system and the budget itself that I speak with the CFO so that maybe during the summer we can make that change. I'm looking to keep better track of what kind of stuff that I'm purchasing what kind of stuff I'm due for next year because sometimes you renew something every two years, every three years, not necessarily yearly or even monthly, whatever that means, be sure that whatever changes you need made for your benefit so that you have better information in a timely fashion that you speak with your CFO about it. They can implement these changes. It's an internal accounting practice that can be molded to serve the business. Be sure you're well informed be sure you know what's going on before you come in there and say, hey, I need this done, the other done. Your, CF your CFO may not be as friendly unless he or she knows that you've discussed this at length, that you've shown that it could be done in a different way to benefit both of you, and that it actually makes sense. Finally, year number three, finish what you started. Whatever it is you embarked on, that first year you walked into an IT directorship, be sure that year number three, you're wrapping up some major projects and that you're gearing up also as you look for areas of improvement going forward. There's my three-year plan. I hope it has been useful to you. I hope you can take some things out of it and say, ha, huh, I can certainly use this and I could care less about the other. My aim here is for you to get something out of the time that you've invested listening to me. So I thank you for that. Arbaldezon at gmail.com. That's how you can contact me or go to the Arbaldezon.com blog or continue to listen to the Arbaldezon podcast. I'm going to continue to interview and reach out to outside of education IT 
folks so that we can have that perspective as well. How are banks being secured? How is uh, a consultant working with their clients? And that kind of conversation as well as going into interviewing, hopefully, more leadership around schools. So if you know a uh, academic leader, a head of school, a uh, development leader or someone who you know has a lot to offer that maybe I can have a useful conversation with them and record it, by all means, rbaldizon at gmail.com. Send me some suggestions, uh, names, emails, so I can reach out to these folks. And if you are up for it, I'd love to have a conversation with you. So put yourself out there. Challenge yourself. And believe me, I will not hurt you. I will only try to get the best of you so that we can record it and share it out with the rest of the community. I hope this was useful. Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy your week.